Well, good morning again, and welcome to part two in a new teaching series where we're talking about the kind of witness that changes the world. And with a show of hands, wherever you are, how many of you would say the world could use some changing? (laughs) All right. Once again, every hand in this room just went up, all both of us. All right. Well, if that's the case, then let's dive in and let's start here. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Have you ever lost confidence in a leader? Has that ever happened to you? Nothing affects everything like leadership. And when we lose confidence in our leaders, it's pretty easy to start to lose hope as well. Well, as I was working on this week's teaching, my mind went back to the time when I led a mutiny. I actually led a mutiny. I was 16 and our youth group had taken a trip to the Boundary Waters. It was my first time there. It was, in fact, it was almost all of our first times there. And my youth director, who I did respect, he was in another group. He had to break into these smaller groups. So he was in one group and I was in this, this other group. And the people who are our outfitters, they assigned someone to lead our group and his name was Dusty, Dusty. Now it was hard enough that Dusty didn't pack enough food for our group and we didn't have fishing gear and a bunch of these things. But where we really started to lose faith was when we said, Dusty, do you even know where we are? And Dusty pulled out the map and he said, yeah, we're right here on this peninsula. And I just walked around the island with some of my friends. And so we said, Dusty, we're not on a peninsula. We're on an island. He goes, nope, we're right here on this peninsula. We said, you can come with us. Walk around this thing. There is water on all sides of us. And he said, nope, we're right here where the map says we are. Oh, man. Well, maybe that's why we ended up taking a 320-rod portage called the horse portage twice. And back then I was about 130 pounds when I was 16. And imagine carrying a canoe as a 130 pound dude, um, carrying this canoe, one person with this canoe, and you got a pack on your back, you're carrying this canoe. And there are biting flies who had fangs like little vampires. And there were mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds. And you can't do anything about it except kind of go like this because your hands are trying to steady this canoe that's over your head, that's providing the shelter for all of these bugs that are eating your your flesh. And then we get to the end of this horse's portage only to be told we need to turn around and go back. So those are the kind of things that were happening during the trip. Well, we finally got to the last day of this trip and our destination was finally in sight. We Our extraction point was on the other side of this largish lake, but the problem was the wind was blowing right at us. And so there were some pretty big waves that we would have had to go right into all the way to make it back. So Dusty says, hey, everybody stop. We are not going to go get to the pickup point. We're going to have to wait until this thing blows over. And I look at the guys in my canoe and I'm like, just keep paddling. And so our canoe took off. The rest of the canoes followed. Now we're going to circle back to this in just a minute because my point is not that mutiny, especially in that situation, was a good idea. That is not my point at all. They just exchanged one flawed leader for another. and We'll we'll circle back to this. But my point, my reason in telling this story, as well as probably some cathartic experience here, was that it is hard to follow a leader when your faith gets shaken. Isn't that true? When your faith gets shaken in a leader, it's really hard to follow them. And As we begin now with the series, turning this corner here and start looking at specific examples in this series of people who are witnesses for Christ to the point of death, 
I think it's important to start with this. There's a place to write this down too. If your faith in Christ has ever been shaken, you're in good company. That might surprise some of you. Others are going, amen. Today, we're gonna look at an example of someone whose confidence in Christ was shaken and he is one of the last people that you would expect that to happen to. Most people know this person we're gonna look at today, know him by the name John the Baptist. And he is not some minor, insignificant figure that just appears in some obscure text in some corner of the Bible. He's in all four of the Gospels featured prominently. So let's take a look. Uh, And we're going to start with the book of Mark. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I want to let you know, too, as we're turning there, if you don't have a Bible and you're looking for an online, great online source, go to uversion.com, download their Bible app. It's uh, it's fantastic. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Look, This is right at the beginning of his gospel. Mark doesn't open with the Christmas story. Mark opens like this. He says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face and who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He he would have filled up, I'm telling you, on those mosquitoes that were going around my head. They were massive. All right, uh, what were you talking about? Locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, I have baptized with you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, Mark opens his gospel like that with the account of a messenger who was fulfilling an ancient prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. John was the one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Scripture makes it clear. John was an influential leader. We saw there that people were coming from all over the place. In Mark chapter 3, or Matthew chapter 3, I should say, it says the same thing, that they were coming from all over the region to be baptized by John. In Luke chapter 3, Luke adds that this diverse crowd included Jews and tax collectors and soldiers. And here's what we find in John chapter 3. All right, look in John chapter 3. We're going to go verses 25 through 30. John chapter 3, 25 through 30 says this. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said, hey, John, a rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must what? I must decrease. We sang about that whole bride, bridegroom thing earlier, didn't we? Those lifted, those lyrics were lifted 
right from the scriptures. In the Bible, Christ is referred to as the bridegroom and his people are referred to as his bride. And as his people came, his, his own people, his disciples, they came and said, hey, John, aren't you concerned that your disciples are going over to this new guy? John replied with, that's the whole point. That brings me joy. He's the bridegroom. These people, they're the bride. I'm here to support them. This is the first of two takeaways from John's life that I want to point to uh, before we get to John's moment where his faith is uh, shown to be a little shaken. There's a place to write this down in your notes. So we're going to be looking at three takeaways here from John the Baptist's example. Number one, he must increase. All right, let's quickly circle back to that Boundary Waters example. When the guys in my group chose to follow 16-year-old me instead of Dusty, they were simply shifting their allegiance from one flawed leader to another. Dusty may have left us frustrated, confused, and hungry, but 16-year-old me leading us across that lake? Man, and those waves? I could have got my friends killed. As grounded, as gifted as John was, John knew people needed more than what he could offer. And that's why I brought this here. In those early weeks of COVID, I ended up getting this and I hung it in my office. It's the first thing that you see right when you walk in the door. So every time I enter my office, I'm greeted with this. It says, he must become greater. I must become less. John 3.30. COVID, what a powerful reminder of how much is beyond our control and how important it is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we didn't know what the next week, month would bring when this thing was early on, I'm like, I gotta anchor to this. We have to anchor to this as a church. John modeled this whole thing so well. This is John chapter one, verses six through seven. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light. He came to bear witness about the light. Lent is a season where we wrestle with the question, okay, what kind of witness are we providing? As people see us, as people read our posts, do they get a glimpse of Christ or do they see something else? Do they see when they see us? Do they see someone who serves or do they see someone who expects to be served? Do they see someone who turns the other cheek or do they see someone who strikes back harder? Do they see someone who's obedient even unto death or do they see someone who conforms to the patterns of this world? Are we witnessing to Jesus? Are we witnessing to his better way? In the book of Mark, shortly after Jesus was baptized by John. Jesus began his ministry with these words. Take a look at this, Mark chapter one, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. Jesus called people to give themselves fully, fully to the work of the Lord. And John did the same. And the way, this is so important, the way he did that is worth talking about. So let's go back to our three takeaways from John. Number one was what? He must increase. Number two is this, model courageous consistency. 
That is another great takeaway from the witness of John. He modeled courageous consistency. And what do we see when we look around? We see a lot of the opposite, don't we? A whole lot of the opposite. I don't remember a time when I've seen so many people who are so hypercritical of those who aren't in their tribe. And yet at the same time, they are so scared to admit when people in their tribe are doing the same things or if they're doing the same things themselves. John, like Jesus, didn't just pick one tribe or the other and then from that place call out the other people for all the things they were doing wrong. John, he called all people to repentance, all of them. Let me show you an example of this. If John had a base, it would be the people who are coming to be baptized by him. But look at what he says to these folks. This Again, this is his base that he's talking to here. All right, John, uh, this is uh, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Look at this, what he says to his base. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up, raise up children for Abraham. Um, as I was studying this passage, one of my sources said, hey, that whole brood of vipers language, that could be understood that John was saying that y'all are like that serpent in the garden, the father of lies. That's who you remind me of. Another one of my sources said this, that in that time and in that place, baby vipers were said to eat their way out of their mother's womb. So John might've been saying, hey, you're not like vipers. You're worse. You're like baby vipers. Either way, these are not the kind of things that you say to your tribe if you're trying to win friends, influence people. You know, I was thinking about our culture. One of the most courageous things that you and I can do right now isn't to call people out who are being called out. That's what everyone's doing right now. One of the most courageous things that you and I can do is to pause before we respond. People on these different sides, what are they looking for? They're looking for, are you with us or are you with them? Tell us right now, an incident happens, we're supposed to respond to it immediately before we even know the circumstance, before we even know the contents, before we even know the particulars. Today, it takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage to listen carefully, to gather the facts, to do your best, to respond consistently with the response that is aligned with your core beliefs and your core values. We got examples all around us of companies, organizations, even churches. They trip over themselves as they're trying to respond quickly because they're under pressure from these different mobs, right? They, they want to respond quickly. And then how many times have you seen this? They respond one way and then they get backlash from somebody else. And so then they have to reverse their position instead of listening, responding well from an anchored conviction place. John had a, cyst, a, a, a deeply held set of core beliefs that he applied courageously and consistently to both friend and foe. I'll tell you right now, convictions like that, they're going to make you stand out like a bright light in a dark room. 
And there's some people who are going to be drawn to that light, especially if it comes from ideals like truth and justice and love and compassion. Some are going to be drawn to that. And others are going to do everything they can to extinguish it. Everything they can. John had the courage to speak out. And it got him in trouble. In particular, because he spoke out about something that really almost no one else dared to mention, at least not in public. He spoke out about one of the nation's rulers, region's rulers. He was a man named Herod. And Herod had just had an affair. Well, had, earlier it had an affair with his half-brother's wife. Herod and his sister-in-law turned mistress. They eventually divorced from their spouses and they married each other. Now, while I'm sure Herod didn't appreciate John calling his morality into question, there's another added layer to this. Because Herod had just broken up the marriage of one of his political rivals and married this woman. And then Herod got divorced from his wife. Well, that wife was the daughter of another one of the region's rulers. And so by John bringing this whole thing up again, Herod was like, man, this is something I don't need right now. This is more gas on something that is already um, a, a, a raging fire. This could be used by my political enemies. So here's what Herod did. Luke chapter 3, 18, or 19 through 20. Herod locked John up in prison. All right, and this brings us then to that moment where we see even the greatest of witnesses having his faith shaken. And it's understandable, as sincere doubts always are. Imagine you're John. Your whole purpose in life was to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one who would come and make things right, the one who would usher in the great day of the Lord when God's people would be exalted, God's enemies would be vanquished. If Jesus was who he claimed to be, why was Herod still on the throne? Why was John in prison? Why was Jesus, while all this is happening, why is he out there talking to a Samaritan woman at the well? Why is he out there eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he healing, of all people, a Roman centurion servant? Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. Here's how we know that John had some questions, some doubts. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said, are you the one to come? Or should we look for another? Man, it's easy to see how John got there, isn't it? It's like, Jesus, I was there. I baptized you. I saw the heavens open up. I saw the spirit come on you. I heard the words that like, this is my son, my beloved son. I've given my life to prepare the way for you. I spread the word that you are gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit, that you are gonna separate. You're the one to separate wheat from chaff and then to cast the chaff into fire. When are you gonna bring the justice that you talked about? When are you gonna set the captives free? Like me. Tell me now, was all this in vain? because I don't want to die for nothing. Are you the Savior? Or should we expect someone else? This is John the Baptist asking this question. This is the one of whom Jesus himself said, none born of women 
is greater than John the Baptist. That brings us now then to takeaway number three. The first one I hope you take away was he must increase. If you want to witness well, you've got to point people to Jesus authentically do so. Number two, we have to model that courageous consistency as best we can. And then number three is this, even the greatest witnesses have their doubts. If your faith in Christ has ever been shaken, you're in good company. Can I get an amen now? Amen. Well, we've all seen things. We all have. We've all seen things that don't make sense. We've all had questions that aren't easily answered. When John's disciples brought this question to Jesus, this is how Jesus replied. He said, take a closer look. Matthew 11, four through six. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see, what you hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. I invite you to write this down. If your questions are sincere, doubts can take you deeper. I want to invite you not to just dismiss your questions. I invite you to press into them. We invite you to press into them this Lent. Your doubts can take you deeper. For example, how do you even know? What if one of your your questions, your doubts, how do we even know that Jesus existed? Press into that. It can actually make your faith stronger. If you do your, your research, you're going to find out there's more evidence for Jesus of Nazareth than there was for Alexander the Great. If you have questions like, are these four gospels that we're reading from, are these even reliable? Can we trust these? Press into that. You're going to be amazed. This book is like no other. And what about that whole notion? Can we really trust you, God, that your way is better? That if we submit our whole life to you, if we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, that that truly is going to be a better way, a way that leads to life. And then take John's question, or at least the place that it appears to be coming from. Will good ultimately triumph over evil? The short answer to that is yes. It's yes. Look closer, Jesus says. Blind are receiving their sight. Lame are walking. Good news is being preached to the poor. And hearts are being changed. That is so important. Hearts are being changed. A day is coming. A day is coming when those who don't repent, they are going to be cast out of the kingdom. And there's going to be separation like the wheat from the chaff. And that chaff will be cast into the fire. But the day, the day is not here yet. And Jesus is saying, and by his words and actions, I'm going to do everything I can, John. Everything I can to show my Father's love for these people, to show my love for these people. And greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their lives. So John, will you trust me? Will you trust me that sacrificial love, sacrificial love should be at the center of our witness. God has given this world every possible chance to turn to him before that sun finally sets on the invitation once and for all. This is the good news that we bring. 
And I can't think of a better example of someone who understood this, someone who lived this out, someone that modeled this outside of Jesus himself than the person we're going to look at next week, a man named Stephen. We're going to pick up with his example, and it's so important because I can't think of a time, you guys, when my inbox hasn't been more flooded with more people who are, are so concerned, concerned about the direction our nation is going, our world is going, wondering things like John here, is evil winning? Is there a chance? Does it really work for us to respond the way of Jesus? Is this really the way or should we be fighting a very different type of battle? Man, and what do we do? but all these people that are professing Christ and, and showing such a different example. So I really want to invite you to come back next week. We'll do our best we can to press into that. And I think Stephen's example is a great jumping off point for those conversations. But before we close today, I want to invite you to write this down. Jesus invites us to bear witness to his resurrection through ours. Jesus invites us to bear witness to his resurrection through ours. What do I mean by that? How are people going to know that there is life on the other side of the cross if they don't see it, if they don't see it? Our world needs changing. What if our world saw more examples of more people whose lives are being changed? What if we pressed into our questions this Lent? What if some of these very things that are causing doubt right now actually became things that we are most passionate about because we looked into it and there's, 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 there's reasons to believe why we believe? What if we got to Easter better equipped to give solid answers for the hope that we have? What if by Easter, people saw more of John in us? What if they saw people whose only agenda is this? To help people see Jesus. What if, what if, what if they saw a courageous consistency in us that they didn't see anywhere else? And what if we took John's passion that he must decrease, I must become less. You take John's courageous consistency and then if you put that together with Jesus' example of sacrificial love, can you imagine how powerful that witness would be? If people could see that as we're saying these hard things, they could see that we are for them, not against them. What if they could see that even in our passionate disagreement with their positions, with their choices, we really do care. And what if people could see that even if they throw hate our way, we're not going to throw hate back at them. This Lent, let's learn. Let's be inspired. Let's be challenged. Let's come to this place. If you were here last week, remember that verse we gave you, the one they're inviting you to memorize. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I want to invite you to memorize this verse during this season. And, 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 I want to invite you to put some of these songs on your playlist. Ones like we started this, this um, uh, service with today. The one that we're going to close with now. These kind of songs mm, can bolster our faith. Let me pray and then I want to invite you to join me in this next song. Father, thank you. Thank you that you haven't put us in a time where we don't have great examples that we can look to lean into.
And thank you, Father, most of all, that we don't have to just look to examples, but your Holy Spirit can come and reside in us, Father. So I pray that we would all open ourselves up to you, to, to welcome your Spirit into our lives, that we may truly be your witnesses. This we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.